Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for uh, the, the worship. I recognize a few of the songs. I recognize a few of the songs. Um, yeah, well, praise God for all that he is doing. Um, we, went, we went back out on the lake today, and uh, it was cool to see our middle daughter. She was with her, the middle school group, her, her, her class, and, and uh, she was just having a good old time. Then she went on top of that rock and had a good old time jumping off of it. So got her on, um, on video, and so she, she's loving it. She's loving it. She wanted me to send it to Mimi and Papa. That's my parents. So I texted them that video. My mother was like, she's crazy. <laughs> Because my mother doesn't swim, and so she was like, she's crazy. I said, yeah, she's having a good time. She's having a good time. Well, Second Chronicles chapter 20, as we've just been navigating just things I've just, Lord's been dealing with me on and um, inviting us in the, the glorious struggle of just seeking to walk with the Lord and to know him um, more and more each day. Yesterday, we looked at the issue of the word and praying that we are, we are on the pursuit of being fruitful hearts. Uh, we all deal with, deal with some type of challenges, if not, just keep on living. Um, we, we deal with all types of issues, and yet God wants us to have a fruitful heart, a heart that is, that is teachable, that is teachable and receives God's word. Today, I want to look at this issue of faith, this issue of faith. And obviously, there's many passages of Scripture we can go to, um, but this is a story that is very moving. Second Chronicles 20, this is a classic, classic story of God doing what he does best. And I want us to camp out in this story. Let me read to you the first two verses, but we'll cover, we'll actually cover the, uh, 26 verses in this, in this chapter of Second Chronicles 20. Second Chronicles 20, verses 1 and 2 says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, who are these Bible names? came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan, Tamar, that is, in Gedi. I want to put a tag on this passage, faith in a blitz. Faith in a blitz. I love the game of football. Legalized violence. I am from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm still recovering from the Super Bowl loss. I need counseling. I need prayer because we gave Tom Brady a Christmas gift. All they had to do was just run the clock. Don't give this great quarterback any window of opportunity. But no, they didn't listen, and they gave it to him. Merry Christmas, Patriots. Merry Christmas. But in the game of football, there's a lot of various strategies, but in the game of football, one of the things that I like to, to look at is uh, the schemes, the, the game plan, whether it's offense and especially on defense. And you know, in defense, they have many packages on how they're going to provide coverage, but one of the schemes in the playbooks, various schemes actually, is the blitz packages. Blitz packages, those of us who know football or don't know football, they are plays designed to add extra pressure to come and take the quarterback out to cause him to fumble or to cause him to make a mistake, whether he's coming from his blind side, coming up the middle, and a quarterback understands this. He can have his game plan all he wants to, but he understands that when he steps behind that line, that offensive line, he has to assess and try to anticipate and see where the blitz is coming because he knows that that, that opponent is coming after him. So when the ball is snapped, he don't have very long. 
that blitz comes, he either can take the sack and lose yards or he could pass the ball to his closest receiver and live another day. I say that to say to get our minds to think of this, and that is that life is filled with blitz packages. Sometimes we see the challenges come. Sometimes we don't. We all are one phone call away from a, from a bad report. We're one text message, one email, one circumstance that we don't even see coming that knocks the winds out of ourselves. Sometimes we see it coming, other times it hits us from the blind side. But here's the thing, will we take the sack of our problems and lose yards or will we take our problem to Jesus and live another play? Jehoshaphat in this passage is about to experience a blitz. This is a great man, by the way. This is a godly man. This is a man that had the respect and rapport of the people. But one little mistake, he kept an alliance with the surrounding enemy that almost cost him in the nation's life. And with that being said, we come to this text, we come to this story, and there's a lesson we're going to learn here as we walk through this powerful story as the nation of Israel is about to experience a blitz of utter proportion. And the lesson we're going to learn here, if you'd like to take notes, I'd like to give you my thesis statement. If you, I don't want you walking out of here thinking, okay, well, what was that? No, I want you to know, here's my sermon in a sentence. We can experience victory even when we are backed in a corner. Every last one of us who are followers of Jesus, we can experience victory even when we are backed in a corner, even when we are facing a blitz, a circumstance, whatever it is, we can experience victory even when we're backed in a corner. Now, if we want to experience victory in the midst of a blitz, there's a few things I want to share with us from this story that I pray will encourage us and strengthen our resolve and strengthen our faith. Here's the first thing. Expect it. Well, expect what? You ask great questions on a wonderful Tuesday evening. Expect it. The enemy is coming for me. Expect it. The enemy is coming for me. Interesting, the text opens up and read from the ESV. It says after this. Now, again, we study scripture. Don't just water ski through the text. Learn to understand why the words are there, what's happening. King Jehoshaphat, who's a godly man, has just uh, uh, challenged the people to, to put God in his rightful place. Now, we know Israel's main sin, this pattern of sin, which we can't be too hard on Israel because we struggle with this too, and it's a sin of idolatry. It's a sin of idolatry. In fact, Tim Keller would say that all of our hearts are like idol factories. And again, we all worship, as I said the other day. But the question is, who do we worship? And so King Jehoshaphat, a godly king who wants to put God in his rightful place, he challenges the people to get rid of the idols and put God in his rightful place. So the people responded, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. We got a clear, clear slate here. We're, we're looking to the Lord. We're, we're ready for what God has for us. And right smack dab in the middle of this, after this, he catches news that a coalition of forces is coming to take him and the nation of Israel out. Now, learn to read the Bible in its emotional context. Don't just say, okay, that's words on a page. Learn to feel what's happening. How in the world do you think Jehoshaphat probably felt? Yes, are you kidding me? <laughs> Goodness gracious alive. We, we got the nation on the same page. That's a trip. 
by the way, to get everybody unified. By the way, this ain't even in my notes. Let me just say this. Unity is not sameness. Unity is differences moving in the same direction. Unity is not sameness. Just because if everybody agrees like you, votes like you, walks like you, talks like you, that's not unity. That's just crazy. Unity is differences moving in the same direction. I told somebody the other day, what good would it be to go to a football game and everybody's a wide receiver? You'd be like, why did I come here for this? That's strange. And so this nation has unified under putting God in his rightful place. And now King Jehoshaphat gets this news and he's probably thinking, are you kidding me? Oh, you've been there before. God, I've gotten this together and my, my, my family's doing well and then now a curveball. Uh, my career seems to be going well and I'm climbing the ladder. I'm advancing. I got financial goals. I got dreams and aspirations. And all of a sudden, now this? Can anybody relate? Can anybody relate to the now this of life? Are you kidding me of life? Let me give you a piece of mail. The devil never takes a day off. The devil never takes a day off. And if we're walking with Jesus, we're going to get shot at. In fact, I heard somebody say, you know you're flying over the right target when you're getting shot at. And if I'm not experiencing any resistance in my life, am I really walking with Jesus? The devil never takes a day off. And so King Jehoshaphat, he catches this news, and he, there he is, he's, he's, he, he's feeling some type of way. Look at verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. He does a few things here. Number one, he humbles himself before God. He humbles himself before God. Uh, the Bible says he was afraid. I like that. Well, don't be too spiritual on this one. He was scared. And you will be scared, too, if you caught news of a coalition of forces coming to take you and your family out. He was afraid. But here's a game changer. He knew what to do with his fear. You see, courage is fear redirected. When I fear God more than my circumstances, I will always come out courageous. You see, Jehoshaphat knew, okay, I'm scared, I'm afraid, but I'm going to direct my fear towards God. That's why the Bible says that he set his face, he gave his face to seek the Lord. As if to say, God, you have my undivided attention. God, I'm facing this problem, I'm facing this mountain, I'm facing this circumstance, I'm facing this, this challenge, and I, I'm setting my attention on you. So he humbles himself before God, but number two, he humbles himself before others. He calls Judah to fast. And sometimes I think we complicate stuff in church. You know, being a pastor, you know, I'm guilty of this too. We tend to complicate stuff. Fasting simply is giving up something physically that I enjoy and replacing it with seeking God, period. Don't, don't, Don't add any stuff to it. I'm giving up something I enjoy and I'm seeking God in replacement of it. He calls Judah to a fast. And Judah responds. You have the families gathered. I love verse 4. Again, it says, And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. 
from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And I have found in my life and in my pilgrimage, and I'm pretty sure many of us can relate, that oftentimes God will put us in situations where he's the only option. He wants to draw us to a deeper place of desperation because when God is all you have, he's all you got. And that's a good place to be. A God-sized problem setting the stage to experience an all-time awesome God. And so here they are. They're facing this powerful, powerful reality. So how do we initially respond then when we're faced with a blitz? Whatever it is, you fill in the blank, whatever that is. Something has knocked you off. Something has brought some concern in your life or you might be under spiritual attack. How should we initially respond? Let me give you three clear, three clear applicational thoughts here. Number one, let me just say this straight up. Look at the problem for what it is. Look at the issue for what it is. God doesn't need a news flash. He already knows it's really for us. It's interesting. When you look at the life of Christ, Jesus would often go and, you know, to the person who's who's lame or who can't see. And he would ask a question. Well, what do you want me to do for you? He's not asking for more information. He's wanting a person to articulate their need. Get specific, as we'll see in a few moments. Look at the issue for what it is. The second thing I'll say is this. Take off the mask. Take it off. You see, you see, I'm a preacher's kid, okay? Let me just, I'm, I'm putting it all out there. I'm a preacher's kid. And I think I said this the other day. Let me just be honest with you. You know, you know I, I could act with the best of them. I could put on the front. We can put some of the best actors to shame on how we perform in church. Could it be that God allows the blitzes to happen in our lives? Could it be because He's tired of our hypocrisy and he wants our transparency. He wants us to be vulnerable. He wants us to be honest. He wants us to take off our mask. He's using it to drive us to our knees because he knows we won't seek his faith with urgency when I got everything that I want in life. But he has to shake my foundation so that we can get on our knees before him and be totally transparent. This is what Jehoshaphat does takes off the mask. He's transparent. So when we're faced with a blitz, look at the problem for what it is. Take off the mask, but also share your issue with a trusted brother or sister. Who Who do you have in your life that you can share your burden with? God, help us in being alone Christians. God, help us in walking in isolation. Lord, help us to live in community. Who do you have in your life that, that, can, that can intercede for you, that can pray with you, that can walk with you? Because what we see here in this wonderful story <laughs> is that Jehoshaphat doesn't just keep this issue to himself. He invites in the nation to seek God. And so when we are faced with a blitz, we need to understand that God expected the enemy is coming for me. You know, life is going to happen. But the second thought here, I want an overarching thought I want to say is express it. Express it. Get specific with God. And we're going to see this as we walk through the story. Expect it. Get specific with God. Now, notice something here. Now, Jehoshaphat, in verse, in verse 5, stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem. In the house of the Lord before the new court. 
and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Notice he recites an attribute of God. Uh, he appeals to the omnipotence of God, that God is all-powerful, that there's nothing in your life and in my life that's beyond God's power. That's, that's even stupid for me to even say that. God, God, God's not looking at the, the mountains before us and saying, I don't know how, this, how you're going to fix this one. I'm not able. No, no, he is able. You know, one preacher would say he can hit bullseyes with crooked sticks. Our God is able. But why in the world would Jehoshaphat pray like this? He's not praying like this to remind God of how awesome he is. He's praying this because he's reminding himself on how great and awesome God is. That's a great place to be, by the way. He puts his eyes on the omnipotence of God. But notice he also recites God's action. Notice down in verse 7, down to verse 9, he says, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you and in a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. He says a few things. God, you gave us this land. By the way, 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 if you ever, 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 ever want to move God's heart, tell him what he said. Tell him what he said. Tell him what he's done. God, you gave us this land. You, 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 you made a promise to Abraham and you fulfilled your covenant and promises with him. This is your property. We don't own anything. This is your, this is your place. Not only did you give us this land, you gave us this house of worship so we can call out to you, so we can call upon you. What a powerful scene. So not only does he appeal to the omnipotence of God, he appeals to the actions of God. God, you gave us this land, you gave us this place of worship. But now he gets to the heart of the matter. He focuses on God's ability. Look at verse 10 and following. He says, and now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Here it is. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? I love this line. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I can hear God saying that's exactly where I want you to be. Your only option is looking up. Your only option is me. God, we're, we're, we're facing a circumstance, a situation that's beyond our intellectual abilities. It's beyond our power. We, we're not smart enough. We, we don't have the finances. We don't have this and we don't have that. We, this, this military might is stronger than what we have. We're powerless. We don't know what to do. But oh, our eyes are on you. Can you imagine the desperation in his heart? Can you imagine how he feels? 
Now, when we talk about getting specific with God, okay, you're in, you're in your situation. You're, you're in your circumstance. You're, you're in whatever you're facing, and, and you need to, we need to express it. What does it mean to get specific with God? I got one answer with three sub-thoughts. One answer with three sub-thoughts. Obviously, there's more answers, but for the sake of time, let me give you one answer. One key answer with three sub-thoughts. Whatever you're facing, whatever it is, how do we get specific with God? Here's the main answer. Focus on the person of God. There's a place to, you know, to give you, to give you Lord, this is what I'm asking you to do. But, but, but right now, taken from this scene, Jehoshaphat teaches us that we need to first and foremost focus on the person of God. God wants us to know him. Hello, creation. Hello, intentionality of the creation of God, that none of us is here by accident. Paul would say that I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, that my aim in life is to serve the purposes of God. I want to know God. I don't want to live off my mama's faith. I don't want to live off my daddy's faith. I don't want to live off my friend's faith down the street. No, I want to know him for myself. And whatever I'm going through, I need to focus on the person of God, which means, here comes the three sub-thoughts here, which means, number one, I have to look at how God has revealed himself in his word. I have to look at how God has revealed himself in his word. I got I to gotta, I gotta study him. You know, scripture uh, wasn't given to us to worship truth. Scripture was given to us to give us an accurate picture of the God of the truth so that we can know him and worship him all of our days, even into eternity. And so to focus on a person of God means to look at how God has revealed himself in his word. A great place to start among many is to focus on the names of God. Let me click off a few names. Uh, he is El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty. He is El Elyon, the Most High God. He is Yahweh. That's God's covenant name. That's that name that comes down and enters into covenant relationship with his people. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner. He's Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord, my shepherd. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. He's Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. He's Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. And one thing I have found, as you see a pattern of God in Scripture and you see in life. Every problem that I have, every circumstance that I find myself in, God is putting me in a position to experience his name. Did you hear what I said? Your problem, your circumstance is not random. You are getting a front row seat to experience a name of God. If I need God to be my healer, he'll put me in a position where I need him to be my healer. If I need him to be my Jehovah Jireh, he'll put me in a situation where I need him to be my Jehovah Jireh. If I need him to be my covering, he'll put me in circumstances where I need him to be my covering. Why? Because he wants us to know his name. This separates us from all other world religions. I told my kids the other day, the reason why we have all other world religions is because the devil has good theology. He knows the truth. He trembles at his voice. So he creates deceptive disturbances and religion does not have a solution to sin. Only Jesus can satisfy the human heart and only Jesus has made that payment. 
And so when we look at our circumstance, I don't care what you're facing, you are in a prime position to experiencing the name of God. And I can tell you story after story. My wife and I can tell you story after story of how God made his name known in our own lives. And the fact that you're breathing right now, you are a candidate. We are a candidate to experience his greatness. So whatever you're dealing with, focus on the person of God. Look at how God has revealed himself in his word. Another subthought is this. Remember God's goodness in your life. Oh, you got a story to tell. One old preacher used to say, when you start thinking, you'll start thanking. When you start looking over your life and you see how God has been gracious and how he's been merciful and how he's disciplined us and allowed us to go through stuff, but how he's how he's provided. I, I think of what David says. I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. God, God is faithful. His record is a billion and zero. My God does not lose. He has been good to you. And, you know, David, who's, let me throw this out there for free, you know, David, who's a shepherd, <laughs> shepherds would have, obviously, sheep. And if it's a, especially if it's a massive body of sheep, they would have to have a few dogs. And these dogs would typically be in the back, and they would kind of follow the sheep to keep the sheep in perspective, to keep them from wandering off as a shepherd is doing his thing, as he's leading David pulls from this imagery when he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Oh, you got two dogs following you. It's the goodness of God. It's the mercy of God following you and I all the days of our life. Grace woke you up this morning, not the alarm clock. So when we are in a blitz, when we are in a circumstance, and when we find ourselves stressed out, worrying, I'm preaching to myself here, stop. Look what God did. I'm from the south. Look what God did back yonder. And if he was faithful then, you think he's going to leave you hanging now? So when I'm facing a blitz in my life, I need to focus on the person of God. I need to look at how God's revealed himself in his word, which means i got to lodge myself in his truth. I, I need to remember, remember God's goodness. And, and I, number three in the sub, sub point here is that I need to stay needy before him in prayer. That's a gift. Stay needy. Put your eyes on him. God loves it when we stand on his promises. God loves it when we lay before him, when we, when we pour out our heart. The Bible tells us to come to him. In fact, to come to him boldly to the throne of grace. So if I'm facing a blitz, if I'm facing something in my life, I need to expect that the enemy is coming for me. I need to express it, get specific with God. That's what Jehoshaphat does in this text. And then thirdly and finally, embrace it. Embrace what? Here it is. God will show himself strong. God will show himself strong. Now, it's fascinating here. Get the scene. News has come. Bad news has come. It drives Jehoshaphat and the people to seek God, to call a fast. They're praying. They're getting specific with God. And then now, now, now God moves. Look at verse 14. Now, I want you to read this very slowly here. Verse 14. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the 
assembly. Now, Jehaziel is the main person that's going to speak. But again, as I've said, as we study scripture, study it slowly. I found a little nugget here I want to share with you. You know, Hebrew names have significant meanings, and I found it interesting that the first three names given in verse 14 is pregnant with implication and meaning. This could be a whole sermon in and of itself. But I want to share with you the meaning of these first three names. Jehaziel's name in Hebrew means the Lord sees. Get the scene. They're in a desperate situation. Jehaziel, who's about to speak, his name means the Lord sees. But then Zechariah, the second name given in the text, I love this, means the Lord remembers. The third name, Benaiah, means God has built. Get the scene. God sees you. God remembers you. And God is going to build you up. Think about that. Does God see me in my problems? Yes, he does. Does God care? Absolutely he cares. When I can't seem to trace his hand, I need to trust his heart. He loves you. He remembers you and I. He remembers that we're fragile. He remembers that we are but dust. He remembers that we stumble in many ways. He remembers that we need his mercy and grace every moment. He remembers that we are dependent upon him for life and existence. But, oh, he has built you up. That in some way, some form, some fashion, God uses the adversities in our lives to build us up. And so now Jehaziel, whose name means the Lord sees, stands in the midst of the assembly and he gives a prophetic word. Look at verse 15 and following. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Hallelujah. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeriel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against him and the Lord will be with you. Two things he says. Number one, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Over 300 some odd times in scripture, we're commanded not to be afraid. Why? Because we all are fearful. Don't let fear control you. Our problem is, and our human tendency is trying to fight battles that only God can fight. I'm guilty of it. It's called worry. God, I'm going I'm to I'm own what only you can own. How stupid is that? I'm going to worry myself to death over this problem and this situation. Lord, I know I prayed about this yesterday. I know I said I leave it at the altar. But today I'm standing before you. I'm going to crawl back on the altar, give you what I prayed for, take it back for myself because you're taking too long to deal with this problem and circumstance. So I got this for myself. How is that going for us? Not good at all. Don't be afraid. 
This isn't your battle. This is the Lord's. Hallelujah. But he also says, obey God. Obey God. He gives them a set of things they need to do. You know, you know, tomorrow do this. Tomorrow do that. Make sure you, you stand still and you see the salvation of the Lord. Disobey God. Whatever God tells you to do, eh, a lot of times it won't even make sense, but that's okay. Uh, we walk by faith, not by sight anyways. Okay? Oftentimes in Scripture we see that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God doesn't think like us, nor does he act like us. Whatever he tells us to do, we must obey God. And so Jehoshaphat, in verse 18 and 19, he's rejoicing. He's, he's grateful. He, 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 he loves the fact that God has spoken and God has answered him and victory has been promised to him. But it's not over. Now he has a word for the people, verse 20 and following. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Interesting, interesting Look what happens in verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Look at verse 23. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Three quick thoughts here. Jehoshaphat stands before the people and basically says victory has been promised. Number one, believe God. I, I, I got to tell you, those are the two, two most precious words we got to cling to. I don't care if you got too much month at the end of the money. I don't care what the health, what the health report says, whatever the circumstance is. Believe God. Believe God. Second thing he says is praise God. Uh, they sing to the Lord. As a matter of fact, they sung to the Lord with holy attire. Uh, the issue is reverence, as we talked about the other day. The issue is uh, taking God seriously. As a, it's a, that's a theme all woven through Scripture, that our praise shouldn't be casual, shouldn't be cute. It, it shouldn't be surfacy. It needs to come from the depths of our heart. Why? Because God is worthy of praise. And what I love about this is that he's calling the people to praise God, not after the victory, but even before, in the midst, during. Praise God. Praise God. Believe God. Praise God. And then thirdly and finally, watch God. While they were praising, God went before them. Isn't that amazing? We praise God goes to work. We praise God goes to work. God goes before turns the enemy on each other, and by the time Israel gets there, oh, I'm talking too fast. I want to let the, let the Bible speak for itself. Look at verse 24. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothings, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. 
On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. By the way, that means valley of blessing. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place is called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Interesting, interesting. I know the other day I said God is able. Here's another one. Here's another one. Hashtag this on social media. God did it. God did it. A blitz count has come. They go before God. God sends a word of victory. They believe God. They praise God. They watch God. And God not only defeated the enemy, he also sent them back, taking the stuff from the enemy they took for themselves as a valley of ble- in the valley of blessing to go back home to take care of their families. Hello, somebody. Somebody say God did it. God did it. He showed himself strong. And these are not just words on a, on, on a page. Here's some good news. God will show himself strong in your life. Oh, yes, he will. These are not some abstract things. No, God will show himself strong in your life. There's an old song we used to sing in my little Baptist church in there in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a song that many of us probably already know, and it's a song called Trust and Obey. Just verse 1, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust. And obey. Do you believe that God will show himself strong in your life? And listen, here's the, here's the hard part for us. We don't control how he does, how he brings about victory in our lives. Victory belongs to Jesus. And as a pastor, I've had to encourage uh, people as they prayed and as I've prayed for God to heal a person, only for God to call them home. And yet I have to remind myself that ultimate healing is the presence of Christ. And so God did answer the prayer, but not in the way that I would have liked. But he's God. Who am I? So God has veto rights on how he's going to bring victory out in your life. We just need to trust and obey. We can experience victory even when we're backed in a corner. Expect it, express it, and embrace it. You know, the a, a story is told of a, of a father who was working from home, and he was very busy with meetings, and his little girl's daughter, who was about seven, eight years old, was a little busy girl, and he, he, he wanted her to stay busy while he was working, so he decided to go to one of his magazines, and he, he sees this magazine it has a beautiful picture of the world. So he rips that out of the magazine, and then he rips up the pieces of paper and puts it in a big pile and tells his daughter to put it together kind of like a puzzle. He's thinking it's going to take her a long time because he has a lot of small pieces. Well, he goes back to work in about you know, seven minutes. She runs in the room and says, Daddy, I'm done. He was like, are you kidding me? I thought that was going to take you a long time. How in the world did you get put that together so fast. She was like, well, dad, when I first started putting this 
together, I noticed on the other side of that paper was the face of Jesus. So I figured, Daddy, if I can get Jesus right, then my world will fall back into place. If I can only, if I can only focus on Jesus, then everything else would fall back into place. Everybody and their mother is focusing on everything else other than the God that woke them up. Our world falls apart. Our world is screaming dysfunction. Our world is screaming chaos. Our world is doing what is right in their own eyes. Everybody has an opinion about everything. But, oh, there's a God in heaven who sent his son, Jesus Christ. And if we just focus on Jesus, life makes more sense. If we focus on Jesus, then I'm able to navigate through whatever God brings my way or God allows in my way. When we focus on Jesus... Everything else can fall back into place. So my challenge for us as we close is focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. I I know it's heavy. I know it's hard. I, I know I get it. 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 Maybe that's just your word for today. I, I just need to focus on the Lord. Okay, that's fine. Uh, God rarely ever gives all the answers up front anyways. There's an old song we used to sing, you will understand it better. By and by, just keep on walking. And as you walk, you'll catch the lessons. As you walk, you, God gives you the strength. As you walk, he fills you, he pushes you, he navigates you. But we need to focus on Jesus because he's the only solution. Amen? Watch the news long enough, you're like, goodness gracious, Lord, please come now. <laughs> focus on Jesus. Father, we, we are in desperate need of, of you Lord, I don't want to move too quick on this. Maybe there's somebody here and who has a heavy heart, who has a weary heart. Lord, I, I just pray right now by your spirit that you would provide supernatural strength. We don't have all the answers. But I'm reminded of that scripture that, Lord, he slayed me, yet will I trust him. Help us to remember, Lord, your promises that you care for us, that you love us, that you will meet our needs, that we are made in your image. And by the reality of the Spirit of God present in every believer, he's a sign, he's a seal, as the Scripture tells us, that we are yours, by whom we call Abba Father. So, Lord, I don't want to rush over this and and just say amen. I, 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 I just want to pause and just ask you to be with my sister, be with my brothers. Help us, Father, to move with faith. It doesn't mean that we're not scared. It doesn't mean that we don't cry and we don't have emotions. We're human beings. The Psalms is lit with various ranges of emotions. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to express our concern, legitimate concern. It's okay to ask our questions. But even in the midst of this, Lord, remind us that you're able. Remind us of who you are. Help us to focus on Jesus. 
even when it's chaotic. Because you have a powerful way of bringing things together as we lean into you. Thank you, Father, for this powerful story, which is an example to us that you've shown yourself strong in Israel's day in this story. And you will show yourself strong today. We can't focus on tomorrow. It's not even promised that we'll be here tomorrow. We can't focus on yesterday. It's gone. All we have is right now. God, show yourself strong. And we know you will in your time and in your own way. We believe you, Father, and we trust you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. God bless you.